You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. I woke up one day and I was alone and I was angry, hungover, going through withdrawals. And I was sitting on the balcony. I wanted to know what it felt like to hit the pavement. I was really thinking about it. So I stepped back and I said, I got to get away from this coke stuff. My guest today is named Martin Parker. He is a recovering alcoholic, a motivational speaker, and he's learning to navigate his life in recovery with Parkinson's disease. Welcome to the show, Martin. My name's Martin. I'm a recovering alcoholic addict. And I was diagnosed with Parkinson's at 32. And I found myself in a, a ditch upside down. And uh, the wheels were turning. And my, my wheels were turning and they lost its tread and it, it lost its purpose and it kept spinning. And uh, I felt that that was like part of my life. That was, a, that was where my life was headed. I lost track and lost purpose. So I decided to clean myself up. Start recovery. Twelve step program. So kind of going into that story a little bit more. Were you diagnosed with Parkinson's and and then you found recovery? Or was the Parkinson's diagnosis is that kind of what pushed you towards drinking or, or kind of uh kind of helped me fill in like the the gaps of, of that story and, and kind of what your life was was like? Right. There's a lot of well, I grew up uh Oshawa, Ontario. The, the main occupation here is everybody's dad worked at GM, GM town in Canada. Um, and uh, I started drinking at 13. I had my first drink at 13. Uh, we had this place called Pipeland. Uh, we'd shoulder, it was right next to the beer store. We'd uh, shoulder tap for beers, and if we didn't get rip off, ripped off, we'd just head up to get our beer, and we'd head up to head to the pipeline and drink with all our friends and stuff like that. And we would keep drinking until it was gone because you can't take it home. You get in trouble from your parents. So that's when I first learned to drink. Learned to drink when it's gone. And you didn't, you didn't stop till it was gone. It was a nonstop party. Of course, I formed, uh, formed all the habits, all, all my things like that, running through... Uh, from age 13 to age 20, I always drank funny. Kind of always knew I had a problem, but I didn't, uh, didn't want to admit it. Uh, I was always embarrassing myself. Girls liked me until I went, they saw me. Girls liked me until they went out on a date with me or something like that. And I got drunk or we went to the party. All of a sudden they just wouldn't like me anymore. I'd say something weird or off color. But I always like to drink because everybody else did. Everybody else drank. Generally, stayed away from like the harder drugs until until I was in my twenties, and uh, I just kept partying and partying. And uh, I took a beer bottle to the face when I was nineteen years old. One hundred and twenty stitches to the face. I had my nose cut off and sliced uh, my neck open, and. Uh, doctor said I was really lucky because I 
because uh, if it was one inch higher, I would have lost my sight. If it was one inch to the side, I would have cut my main vein in my neck. I would have bled that. So I was really lucky that way. Uh, that afforded me about two weeks off drinking. But <laughs> I was right back on the horse. When I was 24, I met a, met a lady. And I decided I was going to do it right and try not to drink as much as I could. And decided to put my sobriety on her. Which, is, which in the end wasn't very a uh, good idea. We ended up getting married. It's funny, you know, one of our first dates, we go to a Jays game and set up my mutual friend. And uh, says, oh, we went to a Jays game. It was fun. And uh, first thing my friend said was, oh, how drunk did he get? He goes, oh, he didn't drink at all. So I was, I was kind of hiding my drinking from her. So I was a good boy all the way until... We got married and things got serious and decided I could hold on to her. So uh, I drank and then she'd, she'd ask me, uh, we'd only we'd get in trouble, like I said. The only time I got in trouble was when I was drinking. We'd get in trouble and she'd ask me to quit and I'd say I'd never quit. I'd say, uh, I, I'd say I wouldn't drink for a little bit, but I, I would never, the words never would come out of my mouth like, I'm going to quit. I'm going to stop. I knew like in the next two weeks, the next month or so, I was going to drink. It was going to pile on. So, uh, so we ended up being a good guy until enough until we got married. And then we, when we got married, we, of course, kids, uh, we had a daughter, baby daughter. So that house daughter job ended up working up at the GM like everybody else. And when I was 32, well, I guess it was when I was, just after I was 30, my left hand started to act a little funny, act a little goofy. I couldn't stretch my my uh, pinky out to touch the A key on the keyboard. And I was wondering what the hell that was all about. But I just figured I, I was drinking less and I was working out more at that time, so I figured I just injured myself. But my left hand kept getting worse and worse, and it ended up going on my left side. And I couldn't fish uh, money out of my pocket when I went to get change for to buy something at one of the department stores here. My wife at the time made me go to uh, the doctors, and after doctor's appointments and CAT scans and yada, 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 then not being able to figure out what was wrong with me, they sent me to uh, Toronto Movement Disorder Clinic. And I was diagnosed with Parkinson's at 32. And that was the big thing. That's when all the fear and anxiety came back. My ego was broken. I guess where we go from there is uh, I was drinking stuff to cope, and I was on these, this uh, prescription medication that had side effects. Because, because what Parkinson's is is a lack of dopamine in your blood or in your body, and it uh, inhibits your... It's like the wire where the signals travel from your brain to help you move. And of course, there's also a lot of there's a lot of um, mental things that go on when you lack dopamine, like depression and anxiety and things like that. So they have these things called uh, dopamine agonists that are supposed to boost the dopamine inside your body, but in turn they also bring in side effects like impulse control problems. So right away, I'm already an addict. I'm already 
fearful. I've already got Parkinson's. And I, on top of that, uh, I've got this impulse control problem now. I was in complete denial that these drugs, because I was indestructible, I was in complete denial that any of these, uh, said anything going on. It was all the outside people in my, outside people in my environment making me anxious and angry. And I had Parkinson's and nobody else knew how I felt. And uh, eventually it took a toll on my marriage. I was drinking and stuff more often, self-medicating. Took a toll on my marriage, so we split. I got a place downtown in my hometown. And lo and behold, a cocaine dealer was right around the corner. And I thought that was great at the time. And I had lots of money and I had lots of uh, lots of friends because I had lots of coke and it was really easy, accessible. And and I, I only liked the coke because it was uh, kept me drinking. Like I could drink and not black out anymore. I could just stay awake and, and go on four-day benders when I didn't have my daughter. It really, really got to the point where I was spending money and all this thing, all these things, and I kept saying, well, I just got to stop the coke and I just got to stop. I got to quit smoking because I did smoke at the same time too. And uh, I thought that's where all my money was going. But really, it was it was all rooted around drinking. Because I when I started drinking, I didn't say, hey, let's go out and get some Coke. I said, hey, let's go out and drink. Then the Coke would just be there, you know, as a side dish. Make sure that I could stay awake. I woke up one day. And I was alone, and I was angry, hungover, going through withdrawals. And I was sitting on the balcony, and I really thought about what it felt like. I wanted to know what it felt like to hit the pavement and how long it would last. Mm. And uh, for a split second there, I thought I was really thinking about, you know, strung out and hungover and depressed and alone. I was really thinking about it. So I stepped back and I said, I got to get away from this Coke stuff. And, and then I, I uh, but I still want to drink. So I uh, tucked my, I went down the liquor store, bought, some, I bought, bought a couple bottles and head up to, headed up to the country to my friend's place where that, they didn't drink or they drank, but they didn't, uh, there was no other cocaine or anything like that around. So I figured I could drink, and if the Coke wasn't around and it was far enough away from me, I wouldn't need it anymore. But I was wrong. I drank way too much, way too fast, because I, I figured my tolerance was up, but really it was just, I was doing so much Coke back then. And uh, I blacked out, and before I knew it, I was, I woke up upside down in the ditch. Uh, I had to kick the window out, I was in my underwear. And it's in the middle of October, and I had to kick the window out of my my truck. And uh, luckily, I'm only bleeding a little bit from my forehead. I was able to get up out of there and roll away. And uh, stood in the middle of the road in my underwear until the cops showed up. And when the cops showed up, I tried to tell them I wasn't drunk. I just had Parkinson's. And, and uh, they asked for my name, and I said, I love you, because you never identify yourself. I thought it was smarter than they were because we all think we're smarter than everybody. 
and they didn't buy it because you know vodka whatever is coming out of my my pores and i stink like a weak old potato but and they ended up taking me to the hospital first i was going so crazy in the neck brace and things like that didn't think i needed it i, I ripped myself out of the bed and tried to walk around the hospital but they were having none of that and finally they just took me to the cell they booked me i got i got charged with dui and uh i had no truck left i had nothing and i went to see my truck at the wreckers i had to give them money because they had to come pull me out of the ditch and then i had to pay them money to scrap it so that kind of it's kind of funny but anyways um i looked at it and he looked at me and he goes i can't believe you're you're alive i can't believe you're like with the way this truck looks, you should be dead. And I, I was pretty embarrassed and it didn't really dawn on me at that time, but I should have been. So I went home to my parents' place and uh, sat on the couch and I said to my mom, I, I said, I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink tomorrow. But I know I'm going to tell myself it's okay again. But I, I really can't. It's one of these days if I can still stay awake with all this medication and stuff on and have, be conscious enough to get my car and drive, but still have no recollection, I said, I can't, it's just not safe for me. And I, like I said, I saw my tire spinning in the ditch and it lost its tread and it lost its purpose, but it kept going. And my life was going the same way, just, lost its purpose and I was just floating there so she tried to get me into rehab she being the good mom she is she picked up the phone and called the rehabs and I guess the rehab had a waiting list and uh, she found the nearest 12-step program and she took me down there and it was a guy getting his 25-year medallion and even then, I sat there and I said, what's this guy do to celebrate? I mean, it's great. He's got 25 years, but like, he can't drink to celebrate. All I knew how to do, how to celebrate was to drink and party like that. Because since 13, that's all my friends and I did. That was the first thing I had to wrap my head around. I know now, after six years, I know now that it's just having family and things around like that celebrate like that's the celebration that's you take joy and be thankful for all those things i got off the dopamine agonist because that was causing a lot of mental issues and basically a borderline personality disorder where i was paranoid and, and things like that so i had to deal with that and the withdrawal from that was and those prescription drugs were worse than any of the, the coke or the alcohol like it was the coke and the alcohol were different socially, but getting off the prescription with drugs, I felt it physically. Like it physically hurt. I've been taking these drugs every day, four to five times a day, every day for the last two or three years. Yeah, it physically hurt. Like I was laying in bed driving. So anybody going in through any physical withdrawals, that's exactly what it was like. I, I describe it as I wanted to cut my 
skin off my body and run down the street like a skeleton. Like my, it's like my skeleton was trying to punch its way out of my skin, and it just it just hurt. Uh, so I got off that, and I was able to mentally wrap my head around getting sober, try to become a good person and a better father. Because at that time, uh, my luckily my daughter was young enough to uh, not really realize what's going on, but I didn't drink around her anyways because I was already self-aware. I couldn't have one beer, and I didn't want to get really wasted uh, just in case my daughter woke up or anything like that. And that's all I wanted to get was really wasted. I never wanted to have two or three beers and go to bed. Like I could have four beers in the fridge and not touch them. But as soon as I had, as soon as I went to the bar and got a little bit drunk or maybe more drunk than I should have, those four beers were gone the next day. But it's not that I wasn't drinking the four beers for forever. Or it wasn't that I wasn't drinking the four beers. It was the four beers weren't enough to get me drunk. So that's why there's no point in just having one or two beers. And that's how I convinced myself that I wasn't an alcoholic because I could leave those four beers. I looked at it a little differently after the 12-step program maybe looked at it like that. Four years, I was in a relationship and then I was out of a relationship and then I jumped right back into a relationship and then I was out of a relationship and I decided that I needed to do something on my own. So I got one of my friends together, a former sponsor of mine. I told him I wanted to do a natural physique bodybuilding competition. Right in the middle of training, COVID hit, gyms closed and stuff like that, but I stuck with it. And uh, in October last year, I competed. Didn't win, but I reached my goal. And you build that credibility with yourself. Then I started uh, inspirational speaking inspirational speaking competition uh, and I started talking about things more openly when I started training for uh, when I started training for the competition it gave me more confidence I started voicing and putting little videos and things on the internet on Facebook and Instagram and people started to really respond and and enjoy it and so it made me follow this avenue a little further I joined a speaking class and I joined a speaking competition wrote a speech and I won third my first competition uh, my last speech didn't I thought was really well uh, better than the last one I thought more people could relate to it but they didn't see it that way we have a at an event coming up where we talk about uh, parents with disabilities and there's I've also entered in another competition so that's what I'm doing right now, just sharing my story and getting out there and getting after it. Still working out, still eating healthy. All these things. Just uh just the schedule. I find like the repetition and the schedule and, and being having more things to look think about than just not drinking. Because I think that's what happens to a lot of people. People concentrate on drinking so hard and they're so involved in their twelve step program going to meetings and, and going to meetings. And when sometimes when the meeting's not there or they can't make it to a meeting, there's nothing else to fall back on. 
So I think it's important to have fail safe. Like, uh, I, I feel like drinking tonight, but if I drink tonight, I can't get to the gym and work out tomorrow. Or I feel like drinking tonight, but I, I'll miss that meeting tomorrow with my friend. Or, or just try have some different things that you can look forward to, some fail safe to keep you out of that. And maybe some habits and some, some hobbies that you enjoy that you could do the next day that'll keep you out of that mindset of drinking. If you're all you're concentrating on is not drinking, you don't have any other goals. I I really think that that can go out the window real fast because in the end, when you're, uh, if you're thinking, all you're thinking about is not drinking, all you're thinking about is drinking or doing drugs. And, and it's kind of funny because that's what my, my buddies kind of joke with me. The ones that know me really well, they kind of say, oh, we'll get you drinking. Come over, we'll get you drinking. And they'll say, all right, I'll come over and drink, but who's buying the eight ball? And they all shut their mouth after that because they don't know where to get one. And, and they don't realize they don't realize how deep it went with me. They're still married and they still kept their marriages. It's good for them. But when I was single and out there, I was doing... I went a little deeper than they did and they don't, they didn't know how bad it got. So when I came back, they just think it's just drinking. Yeah. So I wouldn't know where to get any drug deals anymore. I wouldn't know where to go in the first place to go look for Coke or anything anymore. But, uh, yeah, I don't think they realize that they're just joking around, but it's a whole slippery slope once you start drinking it all comes back again. So you need the fail station, you need the discipline and you need the things like that to keep you out of it as a whole. And that's what I try to do. Awesome, man. Well, I really do appreciate you sharing your story and, uh, in, in the notes that, that you sent back and forth on uh, Instagram, it also mentions here that you, uh, you launched a, a movement called keep it steady. Would you like to, to share a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, uh, Keep it steady movement. It's kind of like a tagline. It's kind of a joke that I came up with whenever I open up any videos. People with Parkinson's shake. So I say, what's shaking? And that's my greeting. And at the end, I say, keep it steady. And uh, people are starting to catch on. People are starting to realize kind of what it means. Where, well, exactly what I said, like with the discipline and, and, uh, being disciplined and keeping things steady, going on a steady line is actually more gratifying than having your life all out of whack. Like I used to be like, I used to thrive on chaos. That's what I thought. Like I used to, like whatever comes my way, I'll just deal with it. And I, I used to like, the, like I used to kind of hate it, but like waking up hungover, like the old like John McClane type bad boy, badass type guy. You know, you get up out of bed and uh, take a sip of whiskey or or you just keep the party going or you, you're the only guy that shows up hungover for work with scars on your face or scars on your face from a fight before and you're telling jokes and like it was fun to be me. But after living six years sober almost and not getting in a fight because it's funny how how fast those things disappear, like being in handcuffs and fights in parking lots and trouble with cops and inside of holding gels, holding cells when I stopped drinking. Like it used to be 
maybe a once or twice a year occurrence where I'd have to talk to a cop. I haven't talked to a police officer <laughs> in six years because I, I, pretty frankly, I don't have to. I don't have to talk myself out of situations. And I used to think that I enjoyed that type of chaos in my life, but I don't. I realize how much easier your life can be and how much more enjoyable your life can be if you're not walking around hungover and sick all the time actually living in some sort of healthy lifestyle where your head's clear and you can deal with confrontations and conflicts and, and things like that with people more logically because you're not thinking impulsively. Yeah, that's what keeping steady is. Kind of things like uh, not wasting today to uh, because you think tomorrow you're going to drink. Just things like that. A lot of it is stop blaming other people for your problems. If you take the onus on yourself and it's all your responsibility. And if it's your responsibility, then you can deal with it. Then you have to deal with it. You have nobody to blame but yourself. That's kind of freeing in a way because whatever the situation is, good or bad, you put yourself there and you have that power over your life to change it. So if you change it for the bad, you can also change it for the good. Like I put myself in a ditch, but I can also take myself out. I did that. It, might, it takes a little longer, but to get back once you've lost it, but you can get it back if you really want it, if you try. Awesome. Well, Martin, I really do appreciate you coming on today. If the uh, listeners want to get a hold of you, do you have a website or social media, or what's the best way for them to contact you? Instagram is uh, Martin P. K. S. So Martin P. Kiss. Uh, for Keep It Steady on Instagram. And it's just Martin Parker on Facebook. I have TikTok. It's Martin P. Kisses as well, but I, I'm not really active on that. Yeah, I don't like to dance and things like that. But um, yeah, that's that's all. Martin P. Kiss on Instagram for now. I haven't got my website up yet. Look for me on uh, Speaker Slam. Emerging speakers from Speaker Slam. Speaker Slam ca is the website for that anybody's interested in getting inspirational speeches and telling their story and and uh, it's really gratifying when you do that i know some people like to share at 12-step meetings and things like that but sharing your your story with the world and getting it off your chest is uh, very therapeutic Awesome. Like I said, I, I really do appreciate you coming on and sharing your story, Martin. That was, uh, that was quite the story, man. And I know you've, you've been through a lot of struggles, man, but you've made it through the other side. You, you're sober. Uh, it sounds like you've, like you've got things figured out, man. So I, I really do appreciate you coming on and sharing today. All right. Thank you. Martin, thank you again for coming on the show today, man. I really enjoyed our conversation and I think it's going to inspire a lot of people. As always, if you guys would like to find out more information about today's guest, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.